All right, let's go to Ephesians chapter 5. They, they don't like to sing out at the Presbyterian church I grew up in. Ephesians chapter 5. We've been doing a series on the, the Holy Spirit at Calvary. We've been trying to do a series on some things that I think definitely need to be understood, some doctrines we I did one on um, the Bible issue and really enjoyed doing that. And let's see, what was the other one? I think it's about losing your memory or something like that. No. <laughs> anyway, the Holy Spirit is one of those things that I think many, many, probably the great majority of. Uh, professing Christians in America are confused about. So hopefully clear up or just strengthen what you already know about part of that today. Uh, I'm going to begin reading in verse 1, Ephesians chapter 5. So, of course, the the theme that one of the major themes of the book of Ephesians is um, the church. And uh, this is a, this is a church that Paul started through evangelism at this time. Timothy is is the uh, pastor, and uh, probably he was the pastor there when First and Second Timothy were written. But uh, and you know Ephesus is a wicked place, one of the great. From the world perspective, uh, temples uh, was in Ephesus, and it was a tremendously wicked place. I mean, um, immorality of all types was a part of worship there. So um, he preaches a, a lot of this is about uh, how we're, we should walk, how we should live. So in Ephesians 5, it says, Be ye therefore followers. Uh, Greek word there is literally where we get our word imitate from. So be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication... In all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you, as becometh saints. What does saints mean? Holy ones. Holy ones. All right. Um, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. Don't have communion with them in their sin. For when ye were sometimes darkness... But uh, For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit in all goodness and righteousness 
for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. So those first 14 verses are a paragraph, and he starts a new one in verse 15, and we'll read down to the end of that paragraph, verse 21. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God and the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. So, we'll speak on the Holy Spirit, filled, which is wise walking. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the time we've enjoyed together in worship and in fellowship and around the table. Pray that you'd be with us now. Uh, pray that this would be a help to someone here today and and uh, understanding being filled with the Spirit and, and walking with you wisely. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If uh, someone were to uh, ask me, you know, what is, how would I characterize myself biblically, my doctrine or something like that, uh, at this point I'd have to say Baptist. And people might say, well, what does that mean? And they might do the, you know, the Baptist um, acrostic with uh, different things. Bible, B being Bible, you know, A, I forget what that means. P, I forget the rest of them. But uh, at different times, you know, I grew up in a Presbyterian church. It was a liberal Presbyterian church. I don't think it was when my parents first got there or first started attending because the the uh, pastor at that time, or the minister, that's what we always called him, minister was uh, a retired missionary, and my dad had grown up as a Baptist, and I think that's the reason they decided to go to that church, but every minister there that I knew was, was a liberal. The, the gospel preached there was good works, you know, do unto others you'd have unto you type of thing. Um, and then... Sophomore year in high school, in uh, March, some, I think sometime in that year, uh, I'd had a Sunday school teacher that had started teaching as a college student. He was in his last year at the University of North Carolina. He'd gotten saved. He'd grown up in our church, but he'd gotten saved while he was in college. So he uh, spent his senior year teaching our, our high school Sunday school class. And that's the first time I understood what it meant to be born again. Never really 
heard uh, that term much except for John Denver. He sang about being born again in one of his songs. Anybody familiar with that song? John Denver? You know who John Denver is? Oh, okay. She's she's the only one that knows. But I, uh, No, uh, really, honestly, I was ignorant. We, we never talked about being born again. But uh, we went through John 3 in that Sunday school class, and I first first time in my life I realized what a Christian was and that I was not one. And so it took me a few months to work through that before I actually surrendered and trusted the Lord. Uh, but then when I... This fellow had a Bible study with us, but when he graduated from college... Uh, you know, he went, moved to another, I think he moved to Raleigh and took a job. So we looked for somebody to lead our Bible study. We had it, we met once a week and because um, we weren't getting any Bible at church. Uh, a guy that was charismatic, I don't mean in his personality, but his, theologically his belief system was controlled by this idea that once you became a Christian, then you should seek an experience called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And at that time is when you receive the gifts of the Spirit. Speaking in tongues, performing miracles, prophesying, all the things that we read about in the New Testament. Uh, but when I went to graduate and then went to college, I got into some campus groups. And so I became a so I was Presbyterian, got saved and became a charismatic, went to college and became a new evangelical, just kind of a general Christian. That's the way I thought of myself, you know. And then um, when I was a junior in college, I read a book about uh, a guy, a missionary named C.T. Studd. And the Lord used that book to, I'm not saying I recommend it, Just kind of a Baptist now, but I'll explain that as we go on. <laughs> but it really spoke to my heart. The guy was dedicated to the Lord, and uh, I began to be convicted about the fact that you know, I was doing the things that I was taught, but I didn't feel like I was very close to the Lord, fulfilling His will. I began to really pray about that, and um, my Sunday school teacher at that time was attending a Southern Baptist church. I went on Sunday morning. That was it. Primarily because I didn't know what a Wednesday night service was and or even a Sunday night service. We never, we never did that in the Presbyterian church. And, you know, we had our own college age stuff going on during the week. And I was the president of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, which means absolutely nothing spiritually. Um, but uh, my Sunday school teacher at the Southern Baptist Church was a, the head of the political science. He was the head of the Department of Political Science at Clemson. And uh, I remember the first time I went to Sunday school class at that church. Somebody had recommended it to me, again, Southern Baptist Church. And his class, Sunday school class, started at 8 o'clock because they had a lot of college kids coming and none of the classrooms would hold his class, so we met in the auditorium. So we would come at 8, and probably, I probably came at 8 sometimes and then left after that. 
But the first time I heard him, he stood up and he was going to teach through the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And those are long chapters. He just got it and quoted all of them. Just like he was speaking it, just like he was the Lord or something. There's, I think there's 38 verses in chapter 5. Or maybe it's 48. I think it's 48. And so, long chapters. He just got up and quoted it. And I was really impressed with him. He had grown up as a Methodist, had a godly mother. Uh, and he, he was a man that was serious about serving the Lord. Well, after I read that book about C.T. Studd, you know, the thing that I was taught in all these camps groups was one-on-one discipleship. And uh, amazingly, one of the groups that really emphasized that was called the Navigators. They emphasized Scripture memory, so I was doing that. But the verse they used to teach one-on-one discipleship was this, 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, where Paul says to Timothy, the things that thou hast heard from me and among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others. So it says that he taught Timothy in a church setting among many witnesses. It wasn't one-on-one. He was teaching a bunch of people at the same time. I never realized that till later. <laughs> it's amazing how you read these verses over and over and you really think, actually think about what they say. But anyway, I'd, I, I, this Sunday school teacher, um, he did one-on-one training. He actually did was doing this discipleship thing for a Methodist pastor. So I went to him and I said, I... I need some help. I need somebody to teach me. And so he he would we'd meet once a week at 6 o'clock in the morning. And I had to do all the assignments that he gave me. And, you know, he was in that. So we finished the school year that year, my junior year in college. And um, I was coming back for summer school. And... So we set up something for the summer. And when I came back, I had a couple of weeks off before summer school started. And I came back to school, went by to see him, Dr. Charles Dunn, uh, written a bunch of books for political science and devotional type things too. But I went by to see him and picked him up. And I don't know, we went to get something to eat or something. And he said, uh, he was telling about how he'd left the Southern Baptist Church. Because even though his church preached the gospel, the one downtown in Clemson was totally, absolutely liberal. It didn't taught that you couldn't believe the Bible or anything like that. And so he had been opposing that, the fact that they were working together in the same denomination, you know, with people who were total Christ deniers. And finally he was telling about it and he said, I saw there in Second Corinthians and he said, I took a stand and I came out. They were sitting in the car, in my car. Doing, you know, well, I had no idea what he was talking about. But anyway, we started attending uh, a church. It was meeting in a bank building. It was smaller than this auditorium, the whole building. And for the first time in my life, I, I really heard Bible preaching. 
So I became a Baptist fundamentalist. Our, our pastor went to Bob Jones, but he was really a sword of the Lord type guy. Some, some of this young people probably didn't mean anything to you. but So I started learning and growing there. I, probably the rap, most rapid time of spiritual growth in because the first time I was under mature Christians. Uh, if you're in all those campus groups, you're just people getting together and sharing their ignorance. And I'd been under... That charismatic influence in, in high school, which messed up my thinking for years. Um, and probably, I, I think probably some of those people now, as I think back, probably some of them were demonic, you know, maybe demon-filled. The things that said and done and all that then, things they believed. It was led by a dentist. And uh, when his wife died, I think they were probably in their 30s or something like that. At the funeral, he wouldn't let anybody cry. And he said they were going to raise his wife from the dead. I don't think it changed his belief when it didn't happen, but that's the type of situation I was in. Uh, but So then I became a Baptist fundamentalist and eventually went to Bob University, which is non-denominational. The founder, Bob Jones Sr., was a Methodist, a Methodist revivalist preacher. Um, the president and the chancellor, Bob Jr. was the press, uh, press, the uh, chancellor. Bob III was the president. You know, it, it, it took me a long time to realize these people had never been part of a church because we had church on campus. And you didn't have to go to church Sunday evening or Wednesday evening. Um, but we had chapel four days a week. <laughs> so that was more like basically church for a lot of people. And we said, uh, I believe in the Old Testament, both the Old and uh, I believe in the inspiration of the Bible, both the Old and New Testament, and creation of man by the direct act of God. We recited that in. in uh, chapel four days a week and that was kind of what I've been used to no church emphasis none of the campus groups that I was in ever emphasized church never talked about going to church um, but I became by, by that time the clearly the greatest influence in my life was my local church but we were fundamentalist the basic idea of fundamentalism is there are certain key doctrines, inspiration, uh, death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus, His deity, uh, things, things like that. And as long as somebody, the basic idea of fundamentalism is, is that as long as you believe those, at, at the very minimum, five basic doctrines, you were a Christian and that people could fellowship with you. You could be amillennial, premillennial. Uh, you could be holiness, Baptist, Presbyterian, Episcopalian. As long as you believe in those four fundamental doctrines, you, you, you were sound. Of course, by far the great majority of people there were Baptists. But 
I, at that time, I really didn't understand what a Baptist was. I knew what a Presbyterian was. I knew what a fundamentalist, amillennialist, premillennialist. I knew all the things, but it wasn't until I met some fellows after I'd been a pastor for 20 years, a Baptist pastor of a Baptist church. And honestly, after I became a pastor and was you know, preaching through the Bible and so forth, I, I remember thinking one time, I don't really understand baptism. What's that all about? You know, I know you're supposed to be baptized after you were saved. You're supposed to be immersed, but uh, it just it didn't make sense to me. I didn't know you were supposed to be baptized into a church. And, of course, I thought there was a universal church. So as long as you're in the universal church, you know, you're really saved and, and you believe the Bible, that's, that's all you needed. Um, and so for, even while I was, I remember being in grad school at, at uh, Bob Jones University, and we had Bible conference, and so they would invite these well-known uh, preachers to come and preach for a week. I remember asking one guy, because I still was not clear about this thing they called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I, I didn't know what was right or wrong, and I it, you know, was reading my Bible and all that. He, did, he couldn't explain really to, <laughs> to me either. So as I've now I've been, this summer it will be 40 years at Calvary, and Praise the Lord, I've gotten all that straightened out. And that's why I would say, if somebody asked me what my theology was, and they wouldn't know what I was saying, but I would say I'm, my, my theology is Baptist. I'm Baptist in, the, in what the church is. I'm Baptist in baptism. I'm Baptist, most, not all Baptists, but a lot of Baptists are premillennial. Um, I am... Baptist on the Holy Spirit. And quite frankly, I don't know how many people clearly understand this doctrine. The doctrine. And so we've, I've been doing this series. We know this. The, the Holy Spirit, everybody who's a true Christian knows the Holy Spirit's part of the Trinity. Um... He's just as much God as the Father and the Son are. He's The Bible attributes creation to Him just like it does the other two persons of the Trinity, so forth. Um, we know that... This is kind of review of summation before we get to our main thing. The work of the Holy Spirit is different in the Old Testament than it is in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon people to enable them to perform the work of God. Sometimes that's prophecy. Sometimes it's ruling as a king, serving as a priest, or even killing people. The Holy Spirit came upon Samson, and all he did was kill thousands of people to deliver Israel from its enemies. So, But it was, it was to empower people. But David, who was under the Holy Spirit probably as much as any Old Testament person, prayed this, Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. 
So he did not have the indwelling Holy Spirit. He was filled at times to do the work, but uh, he's like everybody else in the Old Testament. And so in John, Jesus, you know, we see the Trinity when Jesus is baptized. Jesus is there. He's the Son. The Father speaks from heaven. The Holy Spirit appeared as symbolically as a dove landing upon the Lord. And it says that the Bible says he was given the Holy Spirit without measure because, I mean, they were, he's God. But he said to disciples, you have known the Holy Spirit. He's been with you all during his ministry on earth, but he shall be in you. He made a distinction. There's going to be a time when he did just come upon people and, and anoint them for service, but he would actually indwell them. And he told his disciples around the time that we looked at in John today, he said to them, it's better for you if I go away, because if I go away, then the Holy Spirit's going to come. So just being the Lord in a body is not as good as the Holy Spirit, God, indwelling every Christian. And so this is where some of the distinction begins. On the day of the resurrection, Jesus breathed on His church, primarily the apostles, and said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. So that's the day when He's... I mean, He did appear for a number of times, but basically that is where New Testament Christians were first indwelled with the Holy Spirit. Now, that's automatic now. Anytime somebody believes on the Lord, the Holy Spirit indwells them. Remember Romans 8. If you have not the Spirit of, of God, you're none of His. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're, you're not a Christian. You don't have spiritual life. So that's what we call the indwelling or the sealing of the Holy Spirit. But there was a unique thing that happened called the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which, by the way, Romans 6 talks about baptism, but it says nothing about the Holy Spirit. Okay? So just because you're, in case you're, somebody tells you that spirit baptism, it's just water baptism. But anyway, he told those disciples, shortly, you need to wait and tarry at Jerusalem for the baptism. And what happened on that day is the Holy Spirit came upon them. They were filled but they also received gifts, spiritual gifts, which were assigned to the Jews. This is proof. This is proof to the Jews that these men were not teaching heresy. They were teaching what the Old Testament taught about the Messiah. And this was demonstrated through these signs like, well, the end of Mark. Remember, the, Mar the end of Mark's not part of the Bible. Remember, Mark 16, the second half of it. Fundamentalists say that that's not part of the Bible. But that removes the resurrection and the Great Commission, if you believe that. Obviously, I don't believe it. But it says that He gave them the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came and with gifts confirming what they were preaching to the Jews. Uh, Hebrews chapter 2 says the same thing. It says in the past tense, Hebrews is one of the last books written in the New Testament. It says the Holy Spirit confirmed what they were preaching. Same verb, one 
talking about the future and one saying it's done. It's, already, it's all gone. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a temporary thing. During the time of the apostles, while they were primarily evangelizing the Jews, although in Acts 10, you know, the Jews were convinced because uh, Peter preached to the, the um, Gentiles and they manifested these gifts, speaking of tongues. Speaking tongues is just it's, it's a language. You know, the, the tongue of America is English. That's all it is. But they perform miracles and so forth, proving that Christ was the Messiah and that what they are preaching is, is the truth. So we go from the Old Testament to the New Testament, kind of during, a little bit during the Matthew and Mark, and then in Acts and the early parts. But then after that, that thing called the baptism of the Holy Spirit, no, nobody today has been baptized with the Holy Spirit. It was just a temporary thing. It was a sign to the Jews. But we have this passage... So we've got the salvation, sealing, and dwelling at salvation. We had this special thing for the Jews from the apostles, and that's all gone. But now he's, he's commanded us here to be filled. What is the filling of the Holy Spirit? Well, it's this understanding that I've just explained to you. This one of the primary reasons I say I, I'm Baptist in my theology. Because... People have got all kind of ideas about what the Holy Spirit is and what He does. And this is one of the ones, being filled with the Holy Spirit. What is that? Well, it's real simple. It's walking in fellowship with the Lord. Obeying Him. And so I want us to see that here in this passage He says here in in Ephesians 5 that if saved souls are going to participate, not going to participate in the shameful and unfruitful works of darkness, but if we're going to demonstrate what is pleasing to God, we must wisely redeem our time, the time that the Lord gives to us, by allowing the Holy Spirit to control us by offering worship, praise, and thanksgiving and giving submission to God's will in Scripture. That's kind of a long sentence, but let's look at this and just see how simple it is. In uh, verses 1 to 14 here, Paul talks about the necessity of shunning darkness. Um, He says they're to put away spiritual corruption. For example, let's actually look back in chapter 4. He starts in verse 25. He says, Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Talking about the church. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. See, that takes place at salvation. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. 
And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Now this same theme continues in chapter 5, verse 3. But fornication and all uncleanness or, un or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as become of saints. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting which are not convenient. That didn't mean the well, way we use the word convenient. It's talking about being right. But rather giving of thanks. But this ye know that no whoremonger nor unclean person nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. So he's telling them they have to put away as Christians spiritual corruption, moral corruption. And he says the way to do that is by replacement. You used to steal, but now you need to work hard. And not only that, but you work not just for yourself, but to be able to help others. You used to lie. Now you're supposed to tell the truth. It's kind of like this. If, you, if you're trying to give up smoking, it's one of the most addictive drugs that people ever encounter. I've had people who used illicit drugs, and they told me the hardest thing they ever had to do was quit smoking, not other drugs. But what you have to do is you have to replace the bad with good. You can't just say, I'm going to stop everything. I've got to start be doing things that are spiritual. Uh, for example, one of the easiest things to illustrate is music. If you understand the power of music, if you just say, all right, I'm not going to listen to any music, <laughs> well, you're going to have songs all the time in your mind that you already put there, and you need to replace it. And I'm going to tell you, that was a difficult thing for me. Uh, I remember <laughs> cutting on a classical radio station there nearby when I was in college, and I thought, I, I'm never going to be able to listen to this stuff. This is the worst junk I've ever heard in my life. And some of it was. Just because classical doesn't mean it's, it's good. But I did start learning to develop a taste for good music. But... And that helped me to put away this, all this other stuff I listened to all my life. But he's saying this about moral things. Uh, and you know, the, the, one of the typical things is like this. Let's say a, a guy's been smoking all of his life and he, he's used to, maybe he rolled a pack of cigarettes in his, in his shirt sleeve or in his front pocket. You know, that's what front pocket's for, right? You put your cigarettes there. Just, you, a lot of people, they, they have to like put... Uh, Gum. You want to put gum in the same place so when they naturally reach, it's not a cigarette anymore. And they can help themselves get out of that habit. Well, we have to do that with uh, our, our thinking and everything else. So say I'm a young man. I got hormones. And I'm, there's women all around me who are half-dressed and they're seductive and all that. So I have to, when my thoughts start going the wrong way, I have to say, wait, that's wrong, and start thinking about something that's good and lovely and all that stuff, Ephesians 4.8. Same thing about worry, just like we talked about this morning. So he's telling me you have to put off, just like changing clothes, put off the old dirty rags and put on some new clothes. 
only it's, it's moral and spiritual things. And uh, you can see where he's, he says that. Don't You know how hard people work at stealing? And they think they're, you know, it's easy to steal. Well, it takes all this time and planning most of the time to actually be able to accomplish stealing. If they did that working, they'd be successful. Um, let all bitterness, you know, put, put bitterness away and start acting with love. Your speech, you know, all these things he says we're supposed to do. Uh, look at chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Be therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. So this is a change. Look, look at verse 8. For we were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is all goodness and righteousness and truth. Do you, do you realize, they say to love people, and you say, well, I don't feel love to that person. The personality grates me. They, they're rude to me and all that. Well, what you're supposed to do is act like you love them. Because you're commanded. We're commanded to do that. So, well, that's hypocritical. No, it's not. It's obeying the Bible. And once you begin to, if somebody insults you and you're kind back to them, and you do favors for them, guess what happens over a period of time? You do have emotions and feelings toward them. I mean, this thing about love at first sight, it's, it's really kind of a myth. You don't really begin to love somebody until you spend time around them and you want to do good things for them, whether they're good to you or not. And so this is what he's telling them. He's telling them to obey Adopt the right kind of uh, conduct and the right type of thinking. Uh, commit thy works to the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. Thing like that. So, but then he he goes on. He's talking about putting away and changing all this. But in chapter five, he starts commanding them to walk wisely. Look at five verse fifteen. See then. Now. Brother Mitchell used this a couple of times. Uh, verse 1 says, Be ye therefore. And then in chapter uh, verse 15, he says, See then. So in both cases, he's saying, I'm continuing on what I said prior to this. So he's been told them, You, you can't live like a, a lost person. And so he says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, Redeeming the time, for, because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine where it is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. So, in, in verse 15, he's talking about careful watching and the walking of wisdom. So, see then that you walk circumspectly. Well... And if you just look at the English word, circum, which means what? Around, okay? Spect, that's, that's seeing. And so basically the idea would be, would be this. Let's say you're, you're out on patrol, special forces, you're guarding some place, 
you're not out there going, you know, I got, I got my M16 shown over my shoulder and I'm just kind of walking around like this. You know, you got Taliban out there, you're, you're walking around like, you're like I did when I went there looking for that Cody's at my house. I had my rifle with me and I had a light on my head, you know, it's not, if I see some couple of two red dots out there, I'm going to start shooting. That's circumspect. It's being careful. In other words, the days are evil. Satan is around us. And the worst enemy we have is who? My own wicked heart that wants temptation. So I'm going to be supposed to be careful, very careful, and walk in wisdom. As, look, notice what he says. Not as fools, but as wise. Well, what is wisdom? This is wisdom. In other words, the way that I know things are wrong and dangerous is by learning this book right here. And we had some arguing at the camp out by people who don't know the Bible. This is something that takes constant washing of our minds, changing the way we think, thinking about what our homes are like, what kind of education we've received, what kind of influence do the people around me have on me, what are their religious philosophies, whatever. It's constantly comparing what's going on around us, the influence of the world, the influence of my own mind, my own imaginations. You realize that in the Bible that the word imaginations is virtually, I think it's every time it's evil. The Bible says the imagination of the man's heart is only evil continually. So, we got to cast down imaginations and bring every thought into the obedience of Christ to the doctrine of the Bible. I'm going to tell you, that takes a while to do that. You don't have a, a, a clear, clean mind just when you get saved. The Holy Spirit helps us. And one of the major aspects of this then of walking wisely is redeeming our time. Verse 16. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. So, one of the worst things you can do on vacation is just do nothing. I mean, I go to rest when I'm on vacation. But if I don't establish, if I don't make sure, vacation is a good time to spend more time you read your Bible and in uh, praying and stuff. If you if you just if you take a day off, if you take it off from spiritual growing and so forth, you're probably going to end up doing something you shouldn't be doing. So he says, redeeming, buy it back. We need to be planners, planners on doing what's good, planning on developing ourselves. He says we of course, need to understand God's will. I just talked about that, verse 17. But be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And the, the, that is only determined by the Bible. 
So reading Scripture, memorizing Scripture, hearing preaching from a reliable preacher. You know, don't just cut on the um, BBN. You know, you're going to hear a lot of false doctrine. And from good people, but they just don't know what they're talking about. And then the surrendering of ourselves to the Spirit, verse 18. And this is where we get into understanding what is spiritfulness, being spirit-filled. And be not drunk with wine where is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. All right. The word, just remind you, the word wine in the Bible means juice from grapes. That's all it means. That's all it indicates. Except by the context. When the Bible says this, that they that they put the, the grapes in the wine vats and probably stepped on them, why'd they call it wine? It's coming out of grapes. It's what we call grape juice. But they didn't make a distinction between grape juice that's grape juice and grape juice that's fermented. There's a place in the Old Testament where it says the wine is in the cluster. Well, that's a physical impossibility. While the juice is in a grape, it cannot ferment. So we have to understand this, but here he's clearly talking about alcoholic wine. Be not drunk with wine. Why? He says because it's excess. So what does that mean? That means you're unrestrained. The word excess has to do with profligate. In other words, why do people drink alcohol? Just because they like to throw up? I mean, the Old Testament talks about that. The tables are full of vomit. Some of you have never seen that. I've seen it. I got on the elevator in my dorm, nothing but athletes, basketball and football, go to church on Sunday morning and open the elevator door and vomit all over the floor. They were out having a good time. Personally, I don't think vomiting is fun. But they do. And just like Proverbs 23 says, they'll go out, and this happens all the time, particularly with a group of guys you know, that I was around. They'll go out, somebody will say something to them, and they don't care about anything, but somebody says something to them they don't like, they're going to they're gonna get in a fight. And they may get beat down bad and get back to the room. They don't even know how they got back to the room. They get up in the morning, they got a black guy and a tooth missing, and they're thinking, man, we had a great time last night. Some of you don't know, but that's the way it is. And that's the way the Bible says it is. And it says the next time I have opportunity, they'll be back at it. Why? Because they don't want restraint. Alcohol is one of the primary things that leads to fornication. It, it, it leads to using dr- other drugs besides alcohol. It it leads. It loosens your tongue. It, it does all these things. It takes away any inhibitions that you have, moral inhibitions, and that's why people use it. 
you know, why don't we have hymns in a in a bar? Because it it doesn't loosen you up. <laughs> you know, you don't want a hymn, uh, something that's serious music. Same way with alcohol. And so people use things. That's why they smoke marijuana. And they say, well, this, this didn't mess you up. Well, it's going to take away your reservation about doing something you know is wrong. And so he says it's excess. Be not drunk with wine, where is excess, excess where you lose control, but is contrasted with being filled with the Spirit. What does that mean? Well, when you let the alcohol control you, is being contrasted in the Holy Spirit controlling you. But that's not excess. That's the way we were designed to live. That's the will of God. That's wisdom. That is contrary to the flesh. That's why he tells us in the, in the Koine Greek, which is common Greek, which is what these guys are taking that are taking the class, um, as opposed to classical Greek and stuff like that. The present tense is an ongoing action. You know, uh, if I say I ran, well, that is, that's happened and it's over with. But if I am running, or the King James would say what? I runneth, E-T-H. That's a present tense. That's something I'm doing right now. And so he's saying this, be being filled with the Spirit. This is a command that we're supposed to be obeying all the time. And what that means is I have to, just like I'm making a choice to consume the alcohol, I have to make the choice to submit to God and let Him have control. So I get up whenever I get uh, in the morning, read my Bible. I'm reminded about the Spirit of God. He's working in my heart. And I then say, Lord, I belong to you. I I want to do your will. Help me today. There might be some temptation I'm prone to. So I guard against those. Okay? Let's say I have a problem with looking at pornography. And my flesh wants that. So I have to avoid that. If I know there's some particular place, computer would be the most obvious one, I have to set some kind of restraints. Maybe I'm, 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 you know, I'm a southerner and I just, I speak my mind. <laughs> well, then you need to learn to shut your mouth. And it may be somebody could be even somebody at church when you get around them and you just you say whatever you think. You tell jokes or whatever that's, that's not of the Holy Spirit. You have to mark these things and walk in wisdom. And when we do that, it's kind of like Brother Mitchell was preaching the other day where he said, you know, we eat the right, if you're trying to get in physical condition, you eat the right foods, you don't load yourself down with a bunch of sugar, but you give, you know, you eat okra. Yeah. That's a healthy food. I just 
make putting in a plug here. No, you eat the right amount of protein, you know, vegetables, all this kind of stuff. You you have a, a good diet. And then you exercise, and that tears down your muscles. But your body naturally use that uses that process of those foods being in your body and the exercise to make you stronger. Well, when I determine to do the Lord's will and I'm careful about temptation and I'm learning what the will of God is, those put together is a platform for the Holy Spirit to have control of my life. It's something I have to seek, though. I have to be pursuing it. Be being filled. Yeah, I could start in the morning. But it's, it's, I'm going to, my determination to be filled all the day. If I do something wrong, something that, uh, let's see, what does it say there in chapter 4? Um, where is it? Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Anyway, if I do something that grieves the Holy Spirit, and I short-circuit His control of my life, then I have to do what? Confess and commit myself to the Lord again. Is that complicated? No, and it's, it's really kind of mundane, isn't it? It's not exciting about, I prayed and God, uh, uh, the Holy Spirit came down on, God came down on us and... We're just talking about the way the Lord's made it. Be being filled with the Spirit. And then he says this. Um, there's, this is written to a church. And you can see in verse 19, for example, that he's talking to a group of people. Speaking to... Is that yourself? Is that plural or single? Yourselves. It's plural. In other words, one of the major aspects of this in helping us being filled is, is corporate worship. Speaking to yourselves. We come here with a purpose to speak to each other in psalms, that's scriptural things, hymns, that would be doctrinal music, you know, glorifying the Lord, and spiritual songs, probably more like I'm not sure these things are as definite as I'm, I'm putting them, but there's something like spiritual songs would be things that communicate Bible truth. Uh, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. <laughs> do we do that? Or do we sing songs we know and we're th- our minds somewhere else? Are we singing to the Lord? Do you do that yourself? when you're having your quote-unquote devotions. But it says we're supposed to do that in church. You know, there are plenty of Baptists that don't even sing in church, much less singing and making melody in their heart to the Lord. Then it says this, giving thanks always for all things. (laughs) So this is something that never stops. All throughout the day, I am to be giving thanks 
for all things. Always for all things. I'm supposed to maintain an attitude of worship throughout the day. Uh, it's not hard to maintain a bad attitude. I mean, you don't have to work at that. I mean, you can just get up in the morning and think, I believe I want a bad attitude today. <laughs> you know, we even have this thing you know, here in the South, I guess everywhere else. Too. Did you get up on the wrong side of the bed today? What does that mean? Didn't get up in the will of God, I guess. Giving thanks always to God for all things and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then, uh-oh, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. This is, it's, it's submitting to the Lord or submitting to the flesh? Submitting to the group. Uh, you know, sometimes you have to change the atmosphere where you are. I remember one time when I was taking some graduate courses down at, at Bob Jones. And I needed some exercise, so I went down to gym. And, you know, got to playing basketball with those guys. They're the most carnal group of guys. That, you know, I don't. I think we probably had about six or eight people playing. And finally... <laughs> I mean, I'm not trying to be over-spiritual on the basketball court. Okay? I want to win. So, but I, I had to just stop and said, hold the ball and say, are you guys saved? I mean, you're acting like a bunch of reprobates. I wouldn't be surprised if somebody used profanity if it, something didn't happen the way, or somebody fouled them or something like that. You know... Are we going to submit ourselves one to another in the fear of God? Do we fear God when we're out shopping, when we're cutting on the TV? But primarily in the church. Are you submitting yourselves one to another? You, you know, you've got a pastor. He's a man of God. He spent a lot of time studying the Bible. Not just reading, but trying to figure out what it says so he can explain it to other people. And you know what? In 1 Timothy 3, it says that a pastor ought to be apt to teach. He ought to be gifted at it. And your pastor is. And he's worked at it. <laughs> and the Bible tells us that we're supposed to be submitted to spiritual leadership in our church. And if everybody is, that means we submit to each other. Remember, can you, 1 Corinthians 1.10, I think it is, being of the same mind and the same... Oh, there's about three different things there. He says, you know, that's obviously talking about a universal body. We're all, you know, we just everybody, big one happy party. no. It's all about in the local church. We're learning the same doctrine. And we are committed to, and we have a natural spiritual love for each other. Now, if you don't love other Christians, you're probably lost. That's one of the natural things that changes when a person gets saved. I want to be around safe people. I want to be around people that love the Lord. Uh, I, 
think I said it to our church recently. Again, one of my goals as a pastor over the years has been that Psalm 119, I don't even know what verse it is, it says, Let those that fear thee be drawn unto me, and those that have known thy testimonies. I want our church to be a place where somebody is looking to live for the Lord. They're around us for a little bit, and they think, man, this is where I want to be. This is where the Spirit of God's working. This is where I can hear the truth and so forth. But being filled with the Spirit is basically what he says here is just walking wisely. It's choosing to do what he's commanded us to do here. It's not looking, and I, I say this deliberately, for spiritual marijuana. It, it's, it's not that I need to get some kind of special enlightening or I just need to be on a mountaintop or a guy. You could feel bad. But you can't feel bad too long if you submit to the Holy Spirit because the ruler of the universe controls everything when you get into fellowship with him you're in fellowship with everything around you except for of course the the wicked I mean you're in tune with the universe the one who controls it so I don't know when I started preaching I should have looked but we're through the thing is is we need to seek the control of, of the Holy Spirit. And we need to understand it's by doing these things. You say, well, I, I don't naturally start singing when I'm committed to the Lord. You should. You should learn to do that. And after a while, it'll, it'll sort of become second nature, these things to you. Witnessing, you know, these things that the Holy Spirit brings about and empowers us to do in our lives. So here's a command. We had one earlier. Let not your heart be troubled. Here it says we're to be being filled with the Holy Spirit.